Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we're playing an archive show. This is a Boomer Boulevard show that I first produced on November 23rd, 2015. Hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. in class. Step right in. Single file, please. No shoving back there, Mr. Milliken. No shoving. No spitting. No gouging. No shoving. No swearing. Keep your hands to yourselves, boys and girls. Everybody just file right in. Glad to have you. You're looking good today. Had a good weekend? That's good. Glad to hear it. We have a great lineup tonight, so I'm glad you're in the classroom. We have an episode of Suspense that features a famous redhead. Which one, you may wonder? Well, you're going to find out in just a few moments. We're going to follow that up with a very, very funny episode of Burns and Allen. It's one we did play, I think, several years ago. I hope it wasn't repeated in any of these replays I did uh, while we were dealing with family matters, but I don't think it was. And it's a very funny episode, and you're going to enjoy it. It it features Mickey Rooney, I will say that, and Gracie adopts Mickey Rooney with hilarious results. Then we're going to finally end up on the streets of Dodge City, Kansas, 1874 or thereabouts. And Marshall Mad Dillon finds himself in a circumstance that even he doesn't know how to handle, or does he? It's a good one. That's coming up on Gunsmoke toward the end of the show. Along the way, we're going to take another comedy detour with Mr. Bob Newhart. We're just going to have a lot of fun. So you settle back, get yourself uh, settled at your desks there, pins and paper out, and we're going to get started in just a minute.
Chester's back with us. He's over there polishing his boots. A lot of people wear boots, I guess, this time of year, but it seems to me that this is the time of year they're going to get all wet, Chester. It's raining out there. We're getting rain here. I know some of you are already getting snow. I don't envy you that. I was talking to my son in Chicago today, and I'm recording this on the 19th of November, and he is telling me that tomorrow on the 20th, which is Saturday, they are expecting 12 inches of snow in Chicago. Carol and I are going up to Springfield, Illinois for the weekend. We just celebrated this week our 43rd wedding anniversary. So we're going to just take a little trip up to Springfield, Illinois. We enjoy going up there from time to time. Haven't been up there for about three years. The Lincoln Museum, very good. Abraham Lincoln. Of course, that was where he lived when he became president. But... um, They're expecting maybe an inch there. We haven't seen any snow so far this year, and that's okay with me. Well, to get things started off tonight, how about a little Radio Noir? of rope has featured on suspense. This one features Lucille Ball, who was a big radio star at the time. Before I Love Lucy uh, made its major debut on television. No, she starred in My Favorite Husband on radio, and of course was also a popular film star. But tonight she guests on an episode of suspense, and I think you're going to enjoy it. Good sound quality on this one. So let's just settle back and go back to 1948 for a little piece. production of A Little Piece of Rope, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. They said I'd never make good here in Hollywood. Everywhere I went, it was the same story. Sure, they'd see me, but the minute they took a look at my baby face, all I'd get was advice and excuses. No job. My last try was for a schoolgirl part. (laughs) 
I was too baby-faced to even land that one. I was walking home, still wearing the school uniform that I'd bought to help me get the part when I got the idea. Then I remembered another thing. It was years ago, reading an old copy of the Police Gazette in Grandpa's attic. Printed about 1880, I guess. With their falsely youthful faces, dressed as innocent schoolgirls, these vicious females haunt the vicinity of select young ladies' seminaries. And with their airs of artless girlhood, they entice and trap unwary gentlemen, some from the best of families. <laughs> It was funny then. But now, well, those gals were suckers. I take the exclusive gents for all they've got and give absolutely nothing. That's how I made good in Hollywood, up to $1,000 a month good. I just take a little walk. I've got uniforms for all the best schools. And I still have the baby face. So help me, lots of those kids look older than I do. When school's out, I let some old wolf pick me up. They always want to park up in the hills or some other lonely place. I drop my compact. He bends over to pick it up. I let him have it with a special little blackjack I carry. Then I leave taking their wallets and any letters I find. You'd be surprised at some of the letters some of them do have. Makes a dandy bank balance now and then. Them? <laughs> Remember, I pick them old enough to have families, dignified jobs. Would they want to admit to chasing bobby soxers? They never squawk. <laughs> My landlady thinks I'm the ideal tenant. Oh, she's no trouble at all, the poor little thing. Infantile, you know. Has to take long walks every day and rest the rest of the time. Never any fun or dates like other pretty girls. Well, lucky she can afford it, I say. Be a county ward otherwise. And so sweet and quiet, uncomplaining, poor little soul. Yes, Mrs. Tilford is a swell character witness. Of course, I always wear a coat over those uniforms near home. And I keep them locked up, them locked up, just in case she snoops. Yes, yes, I've got a nice career in Hollywood. That is, I, I did have until last month when... You going out in this cold, Isabel? Oh, this is a good heavy coat. Well, don't you overdo now. These walks are just what the doctor ordered. Anyway, you sure look healthy enough. Oh, thank heaven for that. Anything I can pick up for you on the way back? Oh, no, thanks, dearie. I got everything done. Goodbye now. Bye. I was dressed for Miss Cadwaller's school this time, and it was just letting out when I got there. I didn't have long to wait. You know, you get so you can tell by the way the cars move along the street if the guy's on the prowl. This one was driving a big black coupe, and he was a little younger than I liked, about 40, but you can't be too fussy. I stepped off the curb, pretending to look for a bus. Waiting for the bus? Why, yes, I am. Which one? The... Bel Air bus. Oh, I say, that's a shame. Why? I just passed it back there. Broken axle. Oh. Uh, you know, I think I've seen you passing my house. What street do you live on? Cameron. Oh, sure. I'm just over on Bender. Hop in, I'll take you home. Oh, well, you're a neighbor. I guess it's 
Gee, thanks, Mr. Rice. Alex Rice. Insurance. How do you do? Like school? I hate it. School's no fun. I'd like... Oh, I... What? Oh, excitement. Danger. <laughs> I suppose you think I'm pretty silly. No. No, I think you're the kind of girl who'll get excitement and danger. Really? <laughs> yes, really. Look, it's so early yet. I'd like to take the long way through the hills. It's pretty there now. Oh, yes, I'd love to. I think the hills are divine. Just out of this world? <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. <sighs> What's the initial on your bag for? The initial? Yeah. Irma? Oh. Inez? Ingeborg? Oh, Ingeborg. You made that up. No, it's Swedish. Uh, Imogene? Uh, no, Irene. Irene Taylor. A pretty name for a pretty girl. I'll bet. <laughs> you have beautiful hair. And eyes. And a beautiful throat. Well, throat. Irene, you're very excited. Oh, Mr. Rice, I dropped my compact. You don't need it. But it might get stepped on. You won't need it. But I want it now. All I... right, all right, all right. Don't yell so here. I'll get it for you. Oh! <sighs> Character, huh? Well, here. Roll back a little. There. I... Well, what do you know? Rope. Now, why would a guy carry a piece of rope in his inside breast pocket? Hmm, nice wallet. Well, goodbye, Mr. Rice, and thanks for everything. Back home, I showered and changed and settled down to see what was in this wallet worth keeping. Only about 50 bucks. What made it so thick was a lot of newspaper clippings. Oh. Oh, no. It can't be. But it was. Those clippings were all about the strangler who'd murdered five girls in the last year, left them in the hills with a piece of rope around their necks and never a clue. And Alexander Rice carried his press notices... Alexander Rice carried a little piece of rope in his inside breast pocket, picked up girls, drove into the hills. And Alexander Rice wasn't his name. No, his driver's license said Benjamin Carney. I had picked up and slugged a strangler. My latest sucker was the most dangerous man in the country. is bringing you Miss Lucille Ball in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. And now, Autolite brings back to a Hollywood soundstage Miss Lucille Ball as Isabel in A Little Piece of Rope, a tale well calculated to keep you in Suspense. At first 
first I just shivered over my narrow escape. Why, if I hadn't been out to get him, he'd have gotten me. I'd be number six in tomorrow's headlines. Then I suddenly realized I was the only one who could identify him. I can't be silent, let him go on killing. I've got to go to the police station and tell them. I started to go out when it occurred to me I couldn't. I didn't dare go to the police and take the chance of exposing my own racket. If that ever came out, and it probably would. San Quentin, here I come. It seems they're a little stuffy about people who carry blackjacks and steal wallets and sell letters. So, instead, I went for a walk. A real one this time, and just tried to think. Pretty soon, another thought hit me. He knew I could identify him by now. Strangler was no fool. He'd have me figured out and know the kind of place and time to look for me. And he'd certainly be looking for me to kill me. To shut my mouth forever. I had to find a way to... City desk, Thompson. I... I know who the strangler is. Who's this? I can't tell you that. Oh, I see. Well, what can you tell me? You know his name? Benjamin Carney. Carney? C-A-R-N-E-Y. 1156A Boydell Street. Yeah, description? About 40. 5'9 or 10. 160 pounds. Dark hair, eyes, skin, even features. Not ugly, not handsome. Drives a big black coupe. Lady Blake model. Got it. Any identifying marks? Mustache? No, nothing. And how do you know this guy's the strangler? I just know. Goodbye. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you can trace the call? There'd been hundreds of phony clues, and he thought mine was another. But surely they'd check that name and address. All the way home, I had a creepy feeling he was around somewhere, following me, waiting. Evening paper barely mentioned my call, just listed it with several others. Radio wasn't very much better. An unidentified woman phoned in a description of the killer as a 40-year-old brunette, medium height and weight, with no distinguishing features, driving a new black coupe. Police checks revealed that such a man, with the name she gave, had moved from the address given several months before the first of the Strangler murders, but there is no further trace of him. Investigation continues, but it is believed this is another spite accusation. A Portland, Oregon woman reported the strangler as the man who entered her hen house last night and... No use phoning again. I didn't think a letter would help much either, but I tried. Being careful, it couldn't be traced to me and mailed it to a newspaper that night. Hey, Mike, Mike, you go to the courthouse, take this to O'Shea, will you? Another strangler letter telling all. Why can't he just strangle letter writers? One more and I'll strangle somebody. Another failure. The letter wasn't even printed. I was getting jumpy from being cooped up like a prisoner. What if he couldn't find me as long as I stayed home? I was losing money every day I didn't pull my act. I could leave town, but why should I give up this good thing by my perfect setup? I've been doing fine. In another year, I could quit the racket, make friends, invest my money, maybe even get married. But now this had happened. I'd never be safe. Not as long as we both lived. I finally faced it. I have to find him and kill him. This time, I put an ad in the personals column. Would he see it? Well, I'd run it till he did. 
A.K. Rice can book your rope act for mutual profit. Have immediate out-of-town engagement. Signed, Slugger. <laughs> rope act. <laughs> mutual profit, huh? <laughs> that would get him because it sounded like blackmail. And by pretending to fall for a shakedown, he'd hope to get close enough to kill me. Only it was going to be the other way around. And so our strange correspondence began. He answered right away. Slugger, interested in offers. offers. Send, Send details, details, box 047M298. Rice. I had him hooked. I didn't lose any time writing. Dear Mr. Rice, I have an invention which I think you'll want for your... Rope act. It's expensive, but remember, it's completely silent. <laughs> and yours exclusively if we agree on terms. Signed, Slugger. Mm-hmm. <coughs> completely silent. <laughs> it's delicious. And expensive. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Slugger, give price, price and, and details, details of contract. Rice. So close now, I couldn't afford the slightest mistake. Now or... Dear Mr. Rice, 5,000 cash buys complete... complete assortment of paper and leather goods. Time and place of meeting must be my choice, but decide fast. I must leave town immediately. Signed, Slugger. P.S. You should never have left that snapshot in your wallet. It's awfully good of you. Snapshot. I thought I... Oh, no. No, I didn't burn it. So, the little lady's in a jam. Needs money to hide out. And I can help her make her get away. Oh, I can indeed. Slugger. Price okay. We'll close at your convenience, Rice. I've got him. My plan was as foolproof as I could make it. I packed a suitcase with the kind of clothes I'd hate to be found dead in, and maybe I would be, and told Mrs. Milford I was taking a vacation with friends. Oh, I'm so glad, dearie. I said to Miss Knight yesterday, that child should have country air. City air just don't do the same for you. Yes, I know. It'll do me good. And you stay longer if they ask Mm -hmm. you. Don't worry about me holding the apartment for you. Well, thanks a lot, Mrs. Tilford. It's certainly nice of you. I have to catch that train now. Goodbye. Goodbye. Have a nice time now. took those awful clothes to the bus depot, changed, washed, and let the soap dry on my face till it was white and shiny and ten years older. With my hair skinned back tight under an old beret, I, I saw a stranger in the mirror. Baby face was gone. Good. No one had noticed me, and looking like this, nobody would. Then I walked to another apartment I'd rented by phone last week. It was in a dingy neighborhood. I'm Miss Sprout. Oh, Miss Sprout, you can move right in. The people left yesterday. Here, this is the key. It's the first door at the head of the stairs. Fine, I'll, I'll go right up. It ain't clean yet. Them stairs bother me so. Oh, I'd really rather do it myself, thank you. Well, I'll just leave you alone there. Now 
I was Miss Annie Sprout, librarian. And I looked as much like Isabel Towns, baby face, as, as an alley cat looks like a Persian. I sat down to write the last letter. Dear Mr. Rice, come to 609 Fitzgilbert Place at 10 p.m. Friday. And don't try to come near me or I'll scream my head off. Tap five times, come in, and stand right by the door while we make sure neither of us is double-crossing the other. Have the money in an unsealed envelope. I want that traveling money, but I'd rather take a chance on the cops than on you, so follow instructions. Slugger. (sighs) You fool. You baby-faced fool. He'd have to make sure the layout was right before he'd dare attack me. And the more precautions I took, the more he'd believe I was on the level. Near the door where he'd stand, I I put a chest with a lamp on it. That was my booby trap, that lamp. The room was so dimly lit, he'd, he'd have to light my lamp to look at the wallet. And when he pulled the light chain, he'd shoot himself. I had a gun fixed where the bulb should be, and the chain pulled the trigger. It was set to get him in the chest. Heart, if I was lucky. Dead or not, I'd leave him there for the cops, with his wallet and clippings. (laughs) Pretty cute, huh? And I'd skip out the back way with all that beautiful money, go to the depot, become Isabel Towns again, safe and free. I wore gloves all the time I was there, and the suitcase with Isabel Town's identity in it was ready by the back door. The hours passed like centuries, and the old house creaked like a sick old man in a squeaky bed. Of course, it might be the house, or it might be someone on the stairs. And then it was ten o'clock. I was standing at the other end of the room... Facing the door. The light was very dim. I heard the feet coming up the stairs, or or was it just the creaking of the old house? No. No. Good evening, slugger. You see, I'm prompt, slugger. Stand where you are. (laughs) Certainly. Did you bring the money? Yes, indeed. Here. Miss Envelope. Throw it down in the middle of the room, between us. Go ahead, throw it down. It'll stay there while you examine the leather goods. Do you have the wallet here? Yes, Throw the money. I, I can't reach it from here, you know. It's quite safe. All right. There. The wallet. Where is it? 
on that chest b- b- beside you by the lamp. Oh. Yes. Uh-huh. Well, thanks, Slugger. Uh, aren't aren't you going to look to see that everything's there? <laughs> Why should I? I trust you. So long, baby face. See you around. He's gotten away, alive. He must have guessed I'd done something to the lamp. So he was still alive and still dangerous. But at least I had the money, the $5,000. I picked up the envelope and opened it. There was nothing in it but pieces of newspaper cut to the size of bills. (gasps) Why, you dirty cheat! I ran to the door and opened it. I looked out, but he wasn't in sight. Maybe I could catch him before he got out of the house. Oh, you won't get away with this. I stepped into the hall, and before I could turn, I felt the rope around my neck. His hands were pulling it tight. Baby, I told you to see you around, didn't I? There you are, baby. You're paid off in full. Now, we'll just go back inside. Let's see. I guess you'll be safe on the floor while we finish our business. Now, I'll take a look at that wallet, baby. You might have held out some of those clippings. I'll just turn on this light. Is Miss Lucille Ball. It's always a great pleasure to appear on Suspense, especially when the part is so unusual and exciting. That's right, Miss Ball. The part of Isabel tonight was very different from your regular radio role on My Favorite Husband. <laughs> Plug? Why not? Why not? Something like, uh, listen to Lucille Ball as Liz Cougat on My Favorite Husband every Saturday night. Over your favorite CBS station. All right. (laughs) Wonderful. And I hope all of you will be listening next week when Suspense presents William Powell in a role that's also different from the parts he's been playing lately. He's playing a man who's just stolen a quarter of a million dollars and then finds out that... But you'll hear about it next Thursday when Suspense brings you Give Me Liberty... Another gripping study in... Suspense. Lucille Ball may soon be seen in the Paramount production Sorrowful Jones. Barry Kroger was heard tonight in the part of The Strangler. Tonight's suspense play was written by Virginia Cross with music composed by Lucian Morawieck and conducted by Lud Bluskin. The entire production was under the direction of Anton M. Leader. In the coming weeks, suspense will present such stars as John Garfield, Margaret O'Brien, Sidney Greenstreet, Agnes Moorhead, Edmund O'Brien, and many others. Make it a point to listen each Thursday to Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. And next Thursday, same time, hear William Powell in Give Me Liberty.
Autolite Suspense Show. Here's your party, Miss Ball. We should all support our local community chest in their drives for funds. Money is badly needed for aid to the handicapped, child care, hospitals, clinics, and a host of other humanitarian services. Subscribe to your local community chest. Everybody benefits. Everybody gives. Thank you. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. From November the 14th, 1948, is originally heard on CBS. You were listening to A Little Piece of Rope, featuring Lucille Ball in the starring role. Wasn't it good? Suspense was one of the longest-running shows on radio. And it's easy to see why, because it had a lot of appeal, and a lot of guest stars enjoyed appearing on it. In fact, some of Hollywood's shiniest stars did guest appearances gladly on on Suspense. Well, let's take a little musical break. Where were you in 1960? If you're old enough to remember 1960, you're old enough to remember this tune, which was the biggest-selling record that year. remember 1960. Theme from a summer place, Percy Faith. That was considered a dirty movie at the time. A lot of parents groups were up in arms that they would show this movie in which Sandra D. I think she became pregnant 
in the movie, if I'm not mistaken. I remember Sandra D. Troy Donahue, theme from a summer place. That uh, that song really does conjure up memories. 1960, what were you doing? I was in seventh grade at Hughes Junior High School back in uh, Long Beach, California. And at that time, seventh grade was uh, the beginning of middle school. So middle school, or as we called it, junior high school, ran seven, eight, and nine. And then you went to high school. So seventh grade was that time when you were making the transition from childhood to adolescence. Now, back then, there, there were dress codes. And even in elementary school, the girls always had to wear dresses or skirts, which isn't very fair when you're playing out on the playground. But nonetheless, that, those were the rules. And they always wore like the saddle shoes with the little bobby socks, the white socks. They were mostly tomboys. There was one or two girls, I guess, that were more girly girl than the others. But for the most part, uh, we all played together in ball games and did things together. We were just a bunch of kids in the same classroom. But all of a sudden, when you get to seventh grade, all of that changes. We still had dress codes in schools. And I remember, again, girls wore dresses or skirts. They dressed to look nice. The styles were designed to make you look nice, not sloppy, not sexy, none of that. This was the early 60s. And I remember for the first time, all of a sudden, the girls were wearing light makeup. And instead of the white socks, they wore nylons. And and they had curves. And you think as boys, we didn't notice? Now, I can't speak for you women. But you guys, you, you remember exactly what I'm talking about. In seventh grade, when these little girls that you had played with for years suddenly were blossoming into young women, and you would never look at girls the same way again. When a girl changes from bobby socks to stockings And she starts trading her baby toys for boys When that one shy little You can bet that the change is more than from cotton to silk If a miss wants to be kissed instead of cuddled And to this you are in doubt is what to say When a girl changes from Bobby socks to stockings And she's old enough to give her heart away When a girl changes from Bobby socks to stockings she starts trading her baby toys for boys When that one shy little sleepyhead Learns about love 
love and it's lilt. You can bet that the change is more than from cotton to silk. If a miss wants to be kissed instead of cuddled, and to this you are in doubt as what to say. When a girl changes from Barbie socks to She's old enough to give her heart away Yes, she's old enough to give her heart away All right, it's time now to have a few laughs. Let's open up the Comedy Corner. Something familiar Something peculiar Something for everyone A comedy tonight Something appealing Something appalling Something for everyone A comedy tonight Nothing with kings Nothing with crowns Bring on the lovers Liars and clowns Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, comedy tonight. <laughs> this week on the Comedy Corner, we're going to visit with George Burns and Gracie Allen, who reigned as one of America's favorite comedic couples for over 20 years on the radio. And it was George and Gracie that set the style for later husband and wife comedy teams um, like I Love Lucy. All right, for this one, we're going back to May the 19th, 1949. This is a very funny episode. Now, I know I played it once several years ago. I will say this. It doesn't have the crystal clear sound quality I usually insist on for any show that I play on uh, Boomer Boulevard. However, it's not bad. It's not scratchy. It's it's clear. It's easy to understand. I just like it a little crisper. But this is the best copy of this one I could find. And this is one of the best Burns and Allen shows you'll, you'll ever find because it is hilariously funny. It's entitled, Gracie Adopts Mickey Rooney. Enough said. Here it comes. Another cup of Maxwell House coffee, George. Sure, pour me a cup, Gracie. You know, Maxwell House is always good to the last drop. That drop's good, too. Yes, it's Maxwell House coffee time, transcribed in Hollywood and starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. With our special guest tonight, Mickey Rooney, yours truly, Toby Reed, Wally Mayer, Harry Lubin and the Maxwell House Orchestra, and Bill Goodwin. For America's Thursday night comedy enjoyment, it's George and Gracie. And for America's everyday coffee-drinking enjoyment, it's Maxwell House. Always good to the last drop. It's pretty hard to surprise a man who's been married to Gracie Allen for 15 years. He's heard everything. 
But occasionally, even George gets a jolt. For example, today when Gracie said, George, would you like to have a son? Sure, Gracie. Oh, good. Then we're adopting Mickey Rooney. <laughs> adopting Mickey Rooney? Yes, dear. I've been reading about him in this movie magazine. You know, that poor little child needs a home. Someone to guide him. Look, here's a picture of him driving a car. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, that's no plaything for a child. <laughs> Why, that, that dear little boy should be cuddling a doll. Look again, he probably is. <laughs> Gracie, Mickey Rooney may look like a little boy, but I've got news for you. He's old enough to get married. Oh, married. Oh, George, you're funny. Well, I'll bet he doesn't know what life is all about. He knows as much as I do. Well, there, you see? <laughs> We're not adopting Mickey Rooney. If we adopt anyone, he'll be a minor. Oh, no. I'm not going to have a minor tracking coal dust across my <laughs> I mean, Mickey is too old to adopt. He's a grown man. George, he's a child. If he wasn't a child, he wouldn't be going to horse races. They're for children? Well, certainly. I read that the Kentucky Derby is just for three-year-olds. <laughs> okay, have it your way. Mickey Rooney is a child. We're still not adopting him. But, dear, he needs a father and a mother. And that happens to work out just right for us. You're a man and I'm a woman. No other couple can make that statement. You know, Mickey's becoming a juvenile delinquent. A boy who robs the very studios he works for. Where'd you get that? It's right here in this article. It says he steals every picture he's in. This is murder. Well, just think of that poor little boy associating with thieves and crooks. Maybe we can keep him from falling in with worse company. Gracie, he associates with actors. We're too late, huh? <laughs> yes, and forget it. But there's always a chance that a good home can save him. And by adopting Mickey, we'll keep two children out of mischief. Two children? Well, yes, I'll be too busy to get into trouble. <laughs> I forgot your child. Well, I'm yes. not really, yes. but everyone thinks I am. They think I play with marbles. You? Well, yeah, often I've heard people say, I don't think she's got all her marbles. <laughs> yes, that, I've heard that myself. That's getting around. Well, I'll run over to Mickey's house and get it. Hold it, hold it. Once and for all, you cannot adopt him. Besides, he won't let you. He laughed right in your face. Well, if he does, I'll push him off the chair he's standing on. <laughs> Gracie, I know you mean well, so I hate to get tough with you, but you forced me to. Now, I forbid you even to talk to Mickey Rooney. I command you to stay in this house. That is an order. Oh, Judge, I didn't realize you were so strong and masterful. I am when I have to be. Oh, you're going to make a wonderful father for Mickey. <laughs> Excuse me while I change my clothes. Oh, by golly, this time I'll head her off. I'll go over and warn Mickey. Uh, what, what do you want, please? I want to see Mickey Rooney. 
Oh, tell him George Burns was here. Oh, oh, George, wait a minute. <sighs> Hi, George, come in. Hello, Mickey. What's, uh, what's the idea of the big routine? I'm hiding out from my studio, George. They want me to play another one of those innocent little kid parts. I'm fed up to the teeth with them. But, Mickey, you were great as Andy Hardy with Lewis Stone as your father. George, if he tells me about the birds and bees once more, I'll sting him. Oh, you want to do the grown-up stuff, huh? Why, sure. Now, there's another part in the same picture that I'd love to do. A tough guy, a killer. This beautiful girl is crazy about me. She's with me when the cops close in. The place is full of tear gas. We're kissing and crying. <laughs> All right. Come out with your hands up, killer. We got you surrounded. Come and get me, copper. <laughs> oh, Kelly, Kelly, you're hit! It's, it's nothing, kid. Just a few ribs shot away. <laughs> ah, take that, copper! Kelly, Kelly, you're hit again. Ah, Nelly, this is it. It's goodbye. No, Kelly, don't go, don't leave me. Don't get it without you. I love you, kid. I love you. I'm gonna have to watch that girl, George. She's pretty hammy. <laughs> Well, good luck, Mickey. I hope you get the part you want. Thanks, George. If I can hide from the studio long enough, I think they'll give in. Well, I just, I just dropped by to warn you that Gracie has made up her mind to adopt you. Adopt me? Yeah. She thinks you're a little boy. Yeah, you see, everybody thinks I'm a kid. I'm the only dancer at the Palladium who gets cut in on by the truant officer. <laughs> it's tough, Mickey. I'll say it is. I buy a girl a present. I take her out in my car. I park. I puck her up, and what happens? She sticks a lollipop in my mouth. Well, I just thought I'd warn you about Gracie. I told her not to bother you, but she, she pays no attention to me. Really? I thought husbands always gave the orders and wives always obeyed without question. <laughs> Kid, you not only look young, you are young. <laughs> so long, Mickey. So long, <laughs> Open the door, Mickey. You can't fool me with that English accent. That's got to be Gracie. Just a minute. Uh, excuse the act, Gracie. I'm hiding from my studio. Stealing again. Huh? Oh, Mickey boy, give up this life you're leading and come live with George and me. <laughs> well, I'd rather not. Well, Everybody will think you're George's real son. You look just like him. Now I've got two reasons to hide. <laughs> look, you need someone to look after you. Why aren't you in school? <laughs> I... I graduated. Well, that's a pretty lame excuse. <laughs> and besides, I don't believe it. Well, Gracie, come inside and I'll show you my sheepskin. You'll leave your clothes on, young man. <laughs> I'm not your mother yet. Oh, but I want to be Mickey. I'll see that you get an education. I'll even hire a private tutor to toot you. Oh, well, look here, Gracie. Really, I, I've been tutored. I've had an education. Well, we'll see whether you have or not. Spell cat. 
cat? <laughs> Too tough for you, huh? <laughs> well, I'll give you a simpler word. Spell two. T-O, T-W-O, or T-O-O? Oh, no. You don't get three guesses. <laughs> you're, you're really in a bad shape. Look, Gracie, I went to school. Just ask me questions about literature, economics, chemistry, physics. Anything. Go ahead. All right. Let's take chemistry. All right. Who's the president of the United States? <laughs> That, uh, that, Gracie, is unrelated subject matter. No, sir. That's Harry S. Truman. I mean, chemistry has nothing to do with the president. Chemistry is when you put a whole lot of strange things together and get gas or something. Now, that's Congress. <laughs> All right, you win, you win. Let's, let's take another subject. I, I majored in math and languages, geometry and Latin. You did, huh? Yeah, sure. Let's hear you say something in geometry. <laughs> say something in geometry? Yes. All right. Uh, let me see. Pi R square. Pi R square. <laughs> that proves you never went to school. Pi R round. You better let me adopt you. You need help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, excuse me, will you, Gracie? Hello. Aha, I caught you. You are in town. Uh, no, 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 no. Mr. Looney not here. Mr. Looney leave town. Chop, chop. Too late, Mickey, too late. I'll be right over to see you. Nah. Darn it. That was my director, Gracie. Now the studio's found me. Why did you steal those pictures? <laughs> oh, they'll send you to prison for life or maybe even longer. Gracie, wait a minute. What no, are you talking about? I won't let them. You're too young. I'll take you home and hide you and give you a fresh start. But, Gracie, I don't have... Hey, wait a minute. The studio wouldn't find me there at all, would they? Well, never. George's house is the last place anyone would look for an actor. <laughs> Mrs. Burns, you've got yourself a child. Sonny boy! Mammy! <laughs> It's a perennial favorite, always right, always good. The kind of song we Americans enjoy hearing again and again. And so it is with our enjoyment of truly good coffee. There's nothing we enjoy more day after day. Now that's why this fact is so impressive. Here in America, where coffee is our national drink, more of us buy and enjoy Maxwell House than any other brand of coffee at any price. Why this great preference for Maxwell House? Well, there's just one reason. Flavor. That good-to-the-last-drop flavor. Only Maxwell House gives you. And the secret of this famous Maxwell House flavor is blending. 
expert blending which combines the separate flavor characteristics of many premium Latin American coffees. First, our Maxwell House experts select Manizales for mellowness. Next, Medellins are added for richness. Then other fine coffees for robust vigor. Out the blend, Bucaramangas contribute their fine, full body. This superb Maxwell House blend is then radiant roasted to flavor perfection and brought to you vacuum packed in the familiar blue tin. Vacuum packing is important, ladies, for roasted coffee ground or in the whole bean loses flavor when packed in ordinary containers. But Maxwell House is carefully vacuum-packed so it comes to you fresh and fragrant as the hour it was roasted. Friends, why be satisfied with anything but the best in coffee-drinking pleasure? Tomorrow, enjoy Maxwell House. Always good to the last drop. Well, here I am, Mama. Well, you certainly got here in a hurry, Michael. Michael? What's with the Michael? Well, that's your name now, Michael Burns. But, Mama, I... Now, come along, and I'll show you your room. Now, this is where you'll sleep. Mm, well, it's nice. But, uh, George is in that bed. I can see his head sticking out of the covers. That's a teddy bear. <laughs> you mistake a teddy bear for George? <laughs> Silly. <laughs> a teddy bear has little fuzzy arms and legs and tiny shoe button eyes and... <laughs> well, anyhow, it's not George. But, uh, Gracie, what's, uh, what's a teddy bear doing in my bed? Well, I bought it for you. It'll be your companion, your playmate. Oh. Well, I'll bet you never had one before with such a lovely fur coat. I've had a few playmates with a fur coat. <laughs> Did you break them? No, they broke me. What? Uh, but let it go, Mama. Just let it go. <laughs> now, over here is your clothes closet. Mm -hmm. Oh, and by the yeah. way, I've ordered a new brown suit for you. New brown suit? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. Light brown or dark brown? Buster Brown. Now, wait just a minute, will you please? I, I, I can't wear that. Oh, Michael, if you want to stay here, you'll do as I say. You know, Mama knows best. Okay, Mama. I'll wear it on special occasions, like when there's an eclipse of the sun. Well, that's a good boy. Gracie, I was over... Mickey. Mm. Hello, Daddy. Huh? I'm Sonny Boy. Do you mean to say that you let Gracie adopt you? Sure, George, sure. My studio will never find me here. Oh, I get it. Okay, Mickey, I don't mind. Oh, I'm glad, darling. If we hide him, he'll have a chance to grow into a fine, decent man, just like his daddy. Sure. He can step right into my shoes. Oh, that's the perfect place for him to hide. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of room there. <laughs> you know, we must raise him properly, George. Send him to the finest schools and make sure he's not a Republican. <laughs> And uh, not a Republican? I want our boy to be president. 
I've, um, I've bought some books to improve his little mind. Now, uh, Michael, hmm? sit down and I'll read you a poem. Michael? Uh, that's my name now. Oh, Michael. Yeah. Yes, Michael Rooney. Nice mm-hmm. name. Now, I shall uh, read Hiawatha by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Uh, On the shores of Gitchigumi, by the shining big sea water, stood Nokomis. Uh, Mom, uh, please, Mom, if you don't mind, I've got something here in my pocket that I'd rather read. Well, let me have it. I'll read it no, to give, you. give it to me, will you? Please? I said I'll no, read it, Michael. Mom, give it back. Now, pay attention. In the fifth at Hialeah... <laughs> Seven entries, weather poor, and track is muddy. Why, it's just like Hiawatha, only prettier. Look, uh, Mama, Mama, look, Mama, don't... You know what you're reading. No, I didn't look at the title. It's the racing form. Well, it's the loveliest thing Longfella ever wrote. Yes, he was a fine writer. Well, that's enough culture for now. It's time for your nap, Michael. My nap? <laughs> In the middle of the day. Well, yes, little boys need plenty of rest, don't they, Daddy? Uh, Daddy, that's you. Oh. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, it's, uh, it's time the little man went Betty by, huh? <laughs> you rat. All right, Mama, I'll take a nap if Daddy here takes one, too. Please hop in bed with him, George. Are you kidding? Now, dear, don't argue. You've got to set our son a good example. Come to Betty by, Daddy. And Michael, don't let the railroad train frighten you. Does one run by the house? No, no, but when George sleeps on his back, you'll think so. <laughs> when he blows the whistle, turn him over. I'm not taking a nap. You get in that bed or Mama will punish you. I'd like to see you. Oh, not me. I'll send for my Mama. Move over, Michael. Come on. (laughs) That's better. Now kiss Mama before you go to sleep, Michael. Hmm? Kiss Mama. Oh, okay. You must be a little older than I thought. Now, I want this to be a devoted family. Kiss your daddy. I'd rather play a love scene with Lassie. (laughs) Well, two days have now passed since Gracie brought little Mickey to live with little George, and all is not peaceful in the Burns house. Gracie, do you know that Mickey smoked every one of my cigars? Oh, bless his little heart. He kept his word. Huh? He promised me that he'd give up cigarettes. (laughs) Nice kid. Oh, isn't he, though? And he really thinks of you as his father. Every time he makes a long-distance call, he says, Charge it to my father, George Burns. Gracie, that boy, one of the... Hiya, Pop! Hello, Mama! Oh, hello, Michael. By the way, Pop, here's the keys to your hot rod. I've got a brand new car. It's not a hot rod. It is now. I took the fenders off. (laughs) Oh, 
don't know. Oh, Michael, you mustn't take the fenders off Daddy's car. You'll get your hands all dirty. See who that is, Gracie. I'm taking Michael in the den for a little talk. Huh? Come along. Oh, wait a minute, George. Come, <laughs> Come in. Well, hi, Gracie. Hello, Bill. We haven't seen you all week. Where have you been? Oh, out of town. I ran up to San Francisco. Oh, you must be out of breath. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What's new, Gracie? Oh, there's wonderful news. George and I have a son. No kidding. When did he arrive? Just a few days ago. His name is Michael Burns. Well, gee, tell me all about it. How much does he weigh? About 120 pounds. <laughs> 120 pounds? Well, he is small, but I love him anyhow. But, but, but Gracie... You know, the only bad thing about him, the little rascal smokes George's cigars. <laughs> This kid I gotta see he's, he's in the den with George I'll open the door and you can peek in Holy murder, I knew it George is so old, he had an old baby Oh, Bill Bill, he's Mickey Rooney I adopted him Go in and talk to him Hello, Bill Hi, Mick Listen, Mick, is it true that Gracie adopted you? Yeah, 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 that's right, Billy. Well, George, so Gracie finally did what thousands of people have wanted to do. What's that? She slipped you a Mickey. <laughs> Bill, he's hiding from, uh, from his studio. Yeah. And like a sucker, I let him stay here. Oh. Now I've had enough. Come on, Bill. Help me throw him out. Oh, wait, sure. a minute. wait a minute. Wait a George. minute. Are you nuts? If, if Mickey wants to be your son, hang on to him. So he makes a bundle. He can support you. Yeah, you, you, you tell him that. Right. Yeah. I don't need Mickey to support me. Well, I know, but it's time Gracie had a rest. So tell him. <laughs> Mickey is leaving. Out, kid, out. George, I don't understand you. You've always wanted a son to carry on. Not one who carries on like this little twerp. <laughs> what do you mean, twerp? Throw him out, Bill. Now, listen, don't call Mickey a little twerp. That's right, tell He's him. He's very talented. He could be a big help on your radio program. Sure, I can be the one who tells the people about Maxwell House coffee. I'll tell him that Maxwell House is rich, delicious, and mellow. Uh, wait a minute, kid. I'll tell him that Maxwell House <laughs> is America's favorite brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Now, hold it, Mickey. I'll explain how Maxwell House is a blend of choice Latin American coffees, hold radiant it, to roasted to the very peak of flavor perfection. Hold it, And vacuum-packed so that it comes to you roast afresh. Hold it, I'll tell him just exactly... Hold it, you little twerp! <laughs> You're trying to steal my job, you little no-talent chiseler. Wait a minute. I'm throwing you out of here right now. Oh, a boy, no Bill. Wait a minute. Oh, let me go. Oh, oh Michael, would you... Oh, how sweet. Uncle Bill is teaching you how to dance. <laughs> no. No, Mom. Uncle Bill's trying to kill me. Help. Oh, Bill, stop choking that child. Okay. Uh, are you all right, Michael? Uh, I... I don't know. I, I think so. I, I think I swallowed my Adam's apple. Uh, well, never mind. When Adam comes around, I'll buy you another. <laughs> Bill Goodwin, you're a brute choking a little boy. Next, you'll, you'll be wrestling with girls. Hey, that reminds me. I got a date. So long. <laughs> well, come on, Michael, darling. You can go out in the backyard and play... I'll put an end to this. I'll phone Mickey's studio and tell his director to come and get him. 
Mama? Wally, how did you know I was Never here? Never mind that now. Huh? I've got good news for you. Wait a minute, I... Now, wait a minute. We've decided to give you the part you wanted. You know, the tough guy. Come on, come on, let's get going. Gee, it... <laughs> but wait a minute, it won't be so easy to break the news to... Mama. Mama? Yeah, Mrs. Burns, she thinks she adopted me. <laughs> what a time I've had here. Well, they must have treated you right. You look great. Oh, Wally, I feel great. Never eaten such good food in my life. Really? Yeah, what a cook her husband is. <laughs> well, now, look, Mickey, I got an idea. Living here has put you in great shape. So why don't you stay here while you learn your new part? Uh-huh. I'll come over every day and work on it with you. Mm. Yeah, it's not bad, Wally. Gee, it's uh, too bad I can't live here, too. Wait a minute. Hmm? Maybe you can. If Mrs. Burns adopted me, why, why shouldn't she adopt you? Oh, Mickey, only a woman who's daffy would do that. You're as good as adopted. <laughs> come along and come along and follow my lead. Mama, oh, Mama, I'd like you to meet Wally. <laughs> Wally's my best friend. Hello, Mrs. Burns. Hello, Wally. Well, aren't you a little old to be a playmate of Michael's? Uh, uh, Mama, we're the same age. Wally just looks old because he's had such a terrible life. He was raised in poverty. Is that far from Los Angeles? <laughs> about, uh, about 20 miles. When he was a tiny baby, he was left on a doorstep, Mama. Oh, he's a stepchild. <laughs> Say, uh, Mama, why don't you adopt him too, huh? Well, uh, would you be happy here, Wally? Oh, yes, yes. Oh, well, then I'll do it. My, it's a wonderful age we live in. It took my mother almost a year to have a child. And in less than a week, I have two of them. Oh, oh, oh it's your father, boys. Wait here. Hello, George. Oh, something happened while you were gone. Yeah, I figured that it would. Well, come in the other room with me. Okay. Mickey. And who's this? Hello, Daddy. <laughs> huh? I adopted another son, George. Oh, how cute. Daddy's going to play games with you boys. He's getting a baseball bat out of the closet. Wait a minute! We don't want to play! will return in just a moment. Ladies, would you like to help cut down the terrible toll of home accidents? If so, join the housewives from coast to coast who are forming Don't Be a Gracie clubs. These club members pledge themselves to rid their homes of the hazards that cause accidents. So if you'd like to form a Don't Be a Gracie club in your community, write to Gracie Allen, Hollywood Plaza Hotel, Hollywood 28, California. Join us again next Thursday when we'll all be back. George Burns, Gracie Allen, Bill Goodwin, Harry Lubin and the Maxwell House Orchestra, and yours truly, Toby Reed. And now, here are our stars. Sorry, we're a little late. Good night, folks. If you like good things the easy way, good things the easy way, instant Maxwell House, that's for you. Good, good coffee that's easy too. No time, no trouble, no grounds, no pot, and it's good to the very last, you know what? Yes, instant Maxwell House means great coffee instantly in your cup. Here's real instant coffee, all pure Maxwell House coffee in instant form. Enjoy instant Maxwell House, instantly. Good to the very last, you know what? 
Mickey Rooney appeared by arrangement with Metro Golden Mayor, producers of the Technicolor musical The Barclays of Broadway, starring Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, and Oscar Levine. Until next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House. The George Burns and Gracie Allen Show is transcribed in Hollywood and written by Paul Hemming. And this is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Just a love nest, cozy with charm, like a dove nest down on a farm, a veranda with some sort of clinging vine. Kitchen where some rambler roses twine. Then a small room, tea set of blue. Best of all room, dream room for two. heard the George Burns and Gracie Allen show from April the 19th, or excuse me, May the 19th, 1949, Gracie Adopts Mickey Rooney. And then that was a version of their theme song, The Love Nest, which we heard every week on either radio or television, every time George and Gracie were invited into our home. And while we're still in the mood to laugh, how about we review some comedy albums? Comedy albums, of course, were a big deal back in the uh, 60s. And here is a guy that was always very funny, 
And this is a typical routine that he did about bus driver training. Here's Bob Newhart. It's been my experience in comedy that most good comedy comes out of your own uh, personal uh, experiences. And I grew up in Chicago, and, and the area of town I grew up in was at the end of, the, um, of the, the bus line, and the bus drivers would turn around and they'd head back downtown. So I had been watching bus drivers since I was like five or six years old and became convinced very early there must be a school that all bus drivers attend because they couldn't innately know these things that they're able to do. So I'd like to take you now to that school, and as we enter the course, we find the instructor talking to the student bus drivers. Uh, Gentlemen, you have just completed uh, what's known as a basic course in bus driving. Uh, We're going to present you here with actual situations you'll encounter while driving your buses. And it's primarily designed to find out whether you're going to be good bus drivers or possibly one of the the great all-time bus drivers. Of course, when I say great all-time bus drivers, immediately comes to mind the name uh, Larry Strickland. Probably the greatest bus driver over the 40s and then into the 50s. Uh, Neil Norlag, certainly the the greatest left-handed bus driver we've ever seen. So what we're going to do, we're going to take one of the students, Johnson, yeah, you want to get in the bus, and uh, and Mrs. Selkirk, yeah, you want to get back to your marks, and we're going to... present you with situations you'll very often encounter on your buses. All right, uh, Johnson, yeah, put, you pull your bus in. All right, discharge your passengers. Now, out of, out of the rearview mirror, you'll you notice this old woman running for the bus. Yeah, you want, you want to start running, Mrs. Selkirk? <laughs> let's, let's see how Johnson handles this. You, you, you're, pull, you're pulling out much too fast, Johnson. Hold it. Hold it. Yeah, she gave up halfway up in the block that time. Yeah. <laughs> No, what you want to do is just kind of gradually ease out, you know, and you're, you're kind of always holding out the hope they can catch up with the bus, you know what I mean? <laughs> now, another thing you have to watch, uh, a lot of these, these older women, they'll run at three-quarter speed, and then they'll put on a final burst and catch up with the bus. So. <laughs> All right, Johnson, let's try another one. Graham, you want to try your hand the same problem? Yeah, you want to get back to your marks, Mr. Selkirk? Okay, same situation, you pull in. Discharge your passengers. Oh, right, you want to start running, Mrs. Selkirk? Let's see, let's see how Graham handles this. Did, did you see how he slammed the door right in her face that time? <laughs> That's called your perfect pullout. And now, <laughs> it, it wasn't part of the problem, Graham, but it shows you're thinking on your feet. You, you blocked two full lanes of traffic that time. Very good. <laughs> Okay, uh, Graham, uh, yeah, Ms. Selkirk will try situation 13. Okay, yeah. Uh, Graham, we'll stay with you. You're doing very well. Uh, this happens very often. Uh, you're on your route. All of a sudden, a car pulls in front of you, and on the back is a sign, caution student driver learning to drive, something like that. All right. But yeah, Graham, you want to be driving? All right, Ms. Selkirk, you want to pull in front of him? Let's see how Graham handles this. Excellent. Excellent. He got back, oh, I guess about 10, 15 car lengths, uh, got it up to around 60. <laughs> and then when he's right on top of her bang, he comes down on his brakes and, and then hit the horn with, it, with his elbow. Did you, could you notice how the car just kind of swerved out of control <laughs> when, when she go for the floorboard? Oh, very good, Graham. All right. Uh, yeah, Mrs. Selkirk, you want to uh, extricate yourself? Well, just crawl out the window. I think that's going to be a lot faster. Yeah. 
Okay, uh, now this is a situation, and this will be our, our final uh, 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 situation. Uh, you're the woman getting on the bus with the packages. And I, I'm going to have to help you with this because this requires a lot of practice, but uh, it, believe me, it, it's worth it. So, all right, get, get on the bus, that's the way. Got a bunch of packages, now fumble for your change. Very good. All right, now start heading toward the back of the bus. Get your accelerator. All right. Now you break. Get your accelerator again. Break again. Do you see how he kept her spinning in the aisle there? Now, now the first couple times you try that, you may hit your brake a little too soon. You may, you may hit the, the, the accelerator a little too soon. But I guarantee you, within five or six months, you should be able to keep a woman spinning in the aisle for an indefinite amount of time. All right. Uh, you want to get in your individual buses and just remember accelerator break, accelerator break. Tomorrow we will study the mispronunciation of street names, okay? <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Very funny bit by Bob Newhart about training bus drivers. <laughs> your spurs. Grab your saddle, put the bandana around your neck, and get your Stetson on because it's time to ride on into Dodge City. And we are going to walk right up to the bar and bend our elbow with Marshal Matt Dillon. It is time for Gunsmoke, everybody, and we've got a good one tonight. We're going back to one of the early ones. This episode originally was broadcast on CBS in September of 1952, September 13th, if you must know. Now, when we go back to some of these earlier episodes, uh, some of the characters haven't really been set very well, although by September in 52, the show had been running for about a year, so things were pretty, pretty worked out. But uh, sometimes when we go back to 52, the characters aren't quite fleshed out as much as they were in the later years. Chester's got a big role in this one, and Matt, here it is from 1952, Home Surgery on Gunsmoke. 
Dodge City and in the territory on west. There's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with the U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Smoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. They told us a man we'd been looking for, a murderer, was in a cow camp on the north fork of the Canadian River, about 100 miles south of Dodge. So Chester and I rode down to take a look. We found a fellow there with the right name, but the wrong face. So we started back. First night, we camped in a dry, buffalo-rutted depression. The next morning, I woke shortly after daybreak to find Chester already cooking breakfast. Morning, Mr. Dillon. Uh, Meat'll be done soon. Uh, this is a coffee made, Chester. That's what I need. It's boiling. I didn't make much, though. I thought I'd better save our water. You know, Chester, I'll bet right now the doc's back there in St. Louis holed up in some fancy hotel and still asleep. Hmm. That's quite a thought, sir. Yeah. Him right in the middle of St. Louis and us way out here on the prairie. <laughs> I'll bet he's even got sheets on his bed. I wouldn't be surprised, Mr. Dillon. Doc said this was one vacation he was going to splurge on. <laughs> he's riding the Santa Fe both ways. Uh -huh. Well, meat's done. I cleaned off this rock here to cut it on. Oh, good. Well, you've got it warm anyway, Chester. Well, now, meat shouldn't be overcooked, Mr. Dillon. That takes a taste clean out of it. Now, then we ought to be able to taste everything about this steer. Aigman's disappointment. How's that, Mr. Dillon? <laughs> Never mind, Chester. How come you woke up so early this morning? Oh, I always do. Seems as soon as it gets daylight, my feet start to sweat, and then I just got to get up. <laughs> well, that's as good a reason as any, I guess. Wow. Looks like we got company, Chester. What? Oh. Where? Right out there. Heading straight for us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Some cowboy, probably. I don't know. He doesn't ride quite like a cowboy. Why, it's just a kid, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> sure needs a haircut. <laughs> what? Say, Mr. Dillon, it's a girl. Now, what could she be doing out here? I'm carrying a rifle, too. Well, uh, get on, miss, and have some coffee. Who are you, mister? Hi, this is Chester Proudfoot, and I'm Matt Dillon. How do you do? You rustlers, or what? <laughs> uh, not exactly. I'm the U.S. Marshal out of Dodge, ma'am. U.S. Marshal? Oh, that's good. It is? Why? I need help, Mr. Marshal. My daddy's awful sick. Sick? Well, well where is your daddy? We got a homestead about a mile over that rise back there. Oh, what's he sick with? It's his leg, Mr. Marshall. 
a horse through him and he saddled both in the corral. And then it stepped on his foot. And now his whole leg's all funny. He's got a fever, too. Mr. Dillon, that sounds like it. Yeah, I know, Chester. Uh, tell me, miss, when the horse stepped on him, did it cut his foot, uh, break the skin anywhere? Just a scratch. Tore his boot off, though. Oh. Please, Mr. Marshall, please come see him. I'm scared, the way his leg is and everything. Well, sure, sure we'll come. Your mother with him now? I don't have a mother, Mr. Marshall. Oh. Well, then what are you doing out here if your daddy's sick? We ran out of meat about three days ago, and I don't have anything to feed him. Oh. All right. Uh, Chester, I'll ride back with... Uh, uh, what is your name, anyway? Tara. Tara Hantry. Oh. I'll be 16 next January. Well, that's, that's fine. Uh, we'll go back to the Hantry place, Chester. You scout around for some meat. All right, sir. And if you don't find any antelope, shoot the first calf you see. Anybody's calf. I'll do it, Mr. Dillon. in the sleeping room, Mr. Marshall. No. Daddy. <laughs> I, Daddy, I found a man, and he, he's going to help us. And, Daddy, he's a Marshal, a U.S. Marshal. Matt Dillon, Mr. Hendry. Uh, how are you feeling? Dillon, I've heard of you. You're from Dodge, aren't you? <laughs> That's right. Well, Marshal, I... Ain't feeling so good. My my foot don't hurt no more, but it and my leg is all sort of. Well, it ain't pretty. I don't know much about these things, but maybe I better take a look at it anyway, huh? Sure, sure, Marshal. There, there she is. Uh, all right, you can cover it up. I was in the war, Marshal. I know what gangrene is. Guess you do too, huh? Uh, yeah. Well, the first thing, a friend of mine is out getting you some meat, and then we'll load you in your wagon. And well, Ben we'll... took the wagon. What? Ben Warling. He took the wagon when Daddy got hurt. Said he'd find a doctor and bring him back. Well, who's Ben Walling? Oh, he's he's been sort of working here, Mr. Marshall. I should have run him off long ago. That's what. Well, where is he? What'd he take the wagon for? And where's he going to find a doctor around here anyway? Closest doctors in Dodge, I know of. Yeah, and he's in St. Louis, and he won't be back for a couple of weeks. I couldn't get to him anyway. Well, tell me, when did this happen? About six days ago, Mr. Marshall. Uh -huh. Ben left the day after. Well, you think he's coming back? Did he steal the wagon or what? He he comes back here and me not able to get around. I, I don't know what I'll do. I ought to take a bull with take now, him. Now, take it easy, Mr. Hand. Take him. He won't cause any trouble, so don't you get all worked up. Uh, Tara, we'll uh, let him get some rest, huh? All right, sir. Uh, we'll have some food for you soon, Mr. Hantry. I ain't very hungry. Tara, what's he so riled up about this Ben Walling for? What's between them? Oh, it's, it's nothing, Mr. Marshall. Daddy's sick and... That's all. Look, Tara, you asked me to help you, didn't you? Yes, but... You trust me, don't you? All right, Mr. Marshall. 
Daddy hates Ben because Ben... Well, Ben likes me. Oh, I see. He even wanted to marry me. Said he would. And how do you feel about Ben, Terry? You like him? No. Of course, it's time I had a man and all that, but... I'm afraid of Ben, Mr. Marshall. It's like there's something wrong with him. He's always sneaking around when you don't expect him. <sighs> Makes me uneasy, like... Well, we won't worry about Ben now. Uh... You, you stay here in case your daddy wants anything. I'll go outside and wait for Chester. Mr. Marshall. Hmm? I'm awful glad you're here. We'll see it through, Tara. Don't you worry. I won't. Now. I went outside and walked over to the small corral that stood nearby there I rolled a smoke and looked out across the flat distances of the prairie. And I wondered how anyone could survive in all that emptiness. Hantree lying on his bed back there in the house. He wouldn't survive. The prairie had got to him all right. And its vast loneliness had put him out of reach of any help. And Tara, what could she do out here in this endless land of grass. I was glad to get my mind off it when Chester rode in with an antelope across his saddle. We hung it on the corral, dressed it, took a hind quarter into Terra, and we went back outside and sat down. Yes, sir. She's a plucky girl, Mr. Yeah, Dillon. fine girl, Chester. Yeah, but this Ben fella, I just don't understand his going off with the wagon like that. Well, it doesn't matter much now. Entry won't last more than a day or two, anyway. It's that bad, is it? Yeah, blood poisoning, Chester. As soon as it reaches his heart, he's done for. Well, isn't there any way to stop it? Yeah, sure. Cut his leg off. Oh. Too bad Doc isn't here. Yeah. Would that stop it, Mr. Dillon? Uh, cutting his leg off of me? I don't know, Chester. I don't know. Maybe too late, anyway. I... Well, I sure wish we could do something for him. I don't take to just sitting around and waiting for a man to die. Well, nobody does. It isn't right somehow, that, that poor fella and, and Tara. Why, why, Mr. Dillon, that girl will go crazy out here all alone. All right, Chester, what do you want me to do about it? I'm not a doctor. Now shut up. Well, I... Mr. Dillon, you could do it. I know you could. Do what? Be a doctor. Long enough to save Mr. Hendry's life. Are you anyway. out of your head? No, sir. Then what are you talking like that for? The most I ever did was doctor a horse for the colic. That's fine training for this, isn't I it? I know. I couldn't do it. I just plain don't have the spirit. But you do. Oh, why didn't I leave you back in Dodge? It wouldn't have mattered anyway, Mr. Dillon, because you would never just stand by and let a man die. Now let's go talk to him, Chester. Thank you, Mr. Dillon. Daddy's fever's worse, Mr. Marshall. I I'm going to get some more water. 
How do you feel, Mr. Hentry? I don't feel much, Marshal. Outside of burning up. I've been trying to tell Tara I just can't last long with blood poisoning. She's just got to figure on it. Well, that's what I came to talk to you about. I I guess you know the only thing that'll give you a chance. I know. I've been thinking about it. But I couldn't ask any man to do that. You didn't ask me. Well, it's up to you, Mr. Hantry. I'll, I'll try it if you're willing. Only thing is, I... I won't know much about what I'm doing. I seen it done in the Union Army, Marshal. I could tell you some things. All right. The only thing is, Marshal... I don't know I'd be much use around here with one leg. Well... You'll have to decide that for for yourself. I know. You could move to town, Mr. Hendry, you and Tara. That's it, Tara. If it was just me, I wouldn't do it, but I can't leave Tara alone. Now, if I can help it, I I can't. Uh, All right, Marshal. Let's do it. You're a brave man. No. No, Marshal. I just don't have any choice. Come on. Let's get it over with. You got any liquor in the house? There's a jug of corn out in the kitchen. Get it, Chester. You can start drinking it while we're getting everything else ready. Tell Tara to start boiling a lot of water. Yeah. I'll talk to her in a few minutes. I'll be right back. I want you to tell me everything that you know about this, Mr. Hendry. First, I'll tell you what you'll need. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a straight iron out by the corral somewhere. Yeah. You can heat it in the main room fireplace. Right. Now, what else? Tara will find some cloth for bandages. And the rest of the stuff you can get in the kitchen. Uh Uh-huh. The only thing worrying me is what will we use to tie off the arteries with? Plain thread won't hold. Well, uh, uh, maybe some thin strips of rawhide. No, they'd they'd soak through. You've got to have something. I know. At least I think it'll work. What about horse hair? Oh, that's it, Marshal. Pull it off the tail. Uh, it'll work fine. Here's the judge, Mr. Hantry, and I brought you a cup, too. But pour me some. I want to get good and drunk. Here you are, Mr. Hantry. Sir. You know, I ain't been drunk in the daytime since we got the news about President Lincoln in the spring of 65. Uh, you better have your talk with Tara before that takes hold. Ask her to come in, will you? Come on, Chester, we got work to do. Yes, sir. Uh, Good luck, Mr. Hantry. Thanks. Well, uh, Marshal. Yeah, Marshal. I'll try to make it easy for you. Yeah, sure. Shortly after noon, I operated. Whether it was the corn whiskey or his own hard courage, I don't know, but Hantry never whimpered. Chester stood outside the door and brought me whatever I needed. Tara waited in the kitchen, boiling more water, and thinking her own thoughts. Maybe it was harder on her than any of us. 
toward the end, Hentry mercifully passed out. When I'd finally finished bandaging him, I was kind of faint myself. I'd done everything I could. I just hoped I'd done it right. How is he, Mr. Dillon? You'll have to clean up in there, Chester. I've got to get outside for some air. Yes, sir, I'll do it. And put that fire out. It's hot enough around here. I don't know how you did it, Mr. Dillon. Tara? Uh, Tara, will you come on outside for a while? Daddy, all right? Is he all right, Mr. Marshall? It's all over, Tara. We'll just have to wait and see now. <laughs> ah, there now, Tara. He's all right. should never finish. He, he didn't feel much, Tara. The corn liquor worked fine. Fine. Will he get well now? Well, I, I hope so, Tara. I, I hope so. Mr. Marshall, are, are you going to wait and see? Oh, now, Tara, you don't have to worry about that, Chester, and I'll be here as long as you need us. I, I just wanted to be sure... Can I, can I go see Daddy now? Well, uh, as soon as Chester comes out, Tara, uh, then you can. All right. I'll wait, Mr. Marshall. It beats me, Mr. Dillon, how he can just lay there so quiet and peaceful. It's only been four or five hours, Chester. The liquor hasn't worn off yet. He drank nearly the whole jug. Well, he needed it. Uh, say, Mr. Dillon, look yonder. Huh? Somebody coming with a wagon. Oh, yeah. It's probably that Ben Walling they were talking about. I'll bet that's who it is, all right. Wonder what he'll have to say for himself. Ah, you'll think of something, Chester. His kind always do. You recognize him? No, sir. Do you? Oh, I never saw him before. Hello. What are you doing here? You been walling? How'd you know? The hand trees, they've been wondering about you. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, he's an old hand tree, anyway. He's all right. He is, huh? You've been gone a long time, Ben. Where were you? I don't know you, mister, but you sure ask a lot of questions. You can answer them one at a time. Now, where were you? Who are you anyway, mister? I'm a U.S. Marshal, Ben. Ain't no U.S. Marshals around there here. There is now. Generally, I'm in Dodge. Is your name Dillon? It is. Well, what are you doing here, Marshal? Tara ran into us, asked us to help. Seems the only able-bodied man around here took off in a wagon. I went to fetch a doctor. Anything wrong in that? Not at all. Where is he? Well, first night the horses ran away, and I've been chasing them ever since. I didn't catch him till this morning. 
And then I've been gone so long, I thought I'd better get back to you right away. I was worried about Tara and old Hantry, of course. I see. Well, you better get your horses on hitch, Ben. You can see Tara later. She's in with her father now. Gonna be all right, huh? I was kind of worried about that foot. Looked to me like it might have poison in it. It did. What do you mean, it did? I took his leg off about noon today. You what? Mr. Dillon did it all by himself, just like a regular doctor. Oh, but how'd you know what to do? You might have killed him. Somebody had to do it, Ben. It's a sure thing Tara couldn't. You're blaming me, ain't you? Well, I did everything I could. Didn't my fault those blasted horses run off. Andre's pretty sick, Ben. I wouldn't bother him for a day or two if I were you. Oh, I won't bother him. Oh, now look, Marshal. You can leave now. I'll handle everything here. We'll leave. Soon as Hantree's able to take care of himself again. All right, stay as long as you like. I don't care. Mr. Dillon? Yeah. I think that Ben is a no-good liar. You're right on both counts, Chester. I'll tell you something else. You see that saddle over there? Well, that belongs to Mr. Hantree. Yeah, I know. I looked at it this noon. Somebody cut the cinch strap on it. Cut the cinch strap? Mm-hmm. No wonder that bronc bucked him and the saddle off both. Well, do you think Tara did it? Oh, my goodness gracious, no, Mr. Dillon. Tara would never do a thing like that to her own... It was Ben, wasn't it? That'd be my guess. He figured the old man would get hurt, maybe killed. Why, sir? So he'd have a free hand with Tara. Why is that low down... Mr. Dillon, let me arrest him. Not yet, Chester. There's plenty of time. All right, sir. I'll wait. There wasn't as much time as I figured Antree had a bad night And by morning he was so weak he couldn't lift his head I tried to take his pulse But I could hardly find it Maybe maybe I'd operated too late Maybe the poison had already moved up into his body I didn't know I had no way of knowing So there was nothing to do now But wait Want some more coffee, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, thank you, Chester. We'll fill it up, huh? Tara won't eat anything at all, sir. She just sits there by his bed, hasn't slept a wink, I know of. Well, it's her father, Chester. He's all she's got. I never thought much about it before, Mr. Dillon, but seeing Tara, I kind of wish I had a daughter. You'd have to... Change your profession if you were going to take care of a daughter, Chester. Why, I, I don't have any profession, Mr. Dillon. Oh, Mr. Marshall. Uh, yeah, what is it, Tara? Please, please come. Daddy wants you. I, I think he's... He's... You better come too, Chester. Yes, sir. It's Matt Dillon, Mr. Hendry. Can you hear me? Marshall. I can't hold out... No more. Now, don't say that. You keep fighting, man. You'll pull through. No, Marshal. I'm going to die. Oh, Daddy. Daddy. Tara. It's about Tara, Marshal. Don't leave her here. Ben Walling. He's no good. He'll try to keep her. Now, don't you worry about Ben Walling, Mr. Hendry. I promise you he won't get anywhere near Tara. Now or ever. Thanks, Marshal. He's a bad one. Tara can't stay here alone. She can't work this place. It's a bad way to die. Not knowing. Now, I want you to listen to me. 
Listen to me now. I promise you something else, too. I'll take care of Tara. I'll see she's all right. I'll see she's cared for. Now, I promise that. I thank you, Marshal. Where's Tara? Daddy, I'm right here. Daddy. Tara. Come on, Chester. Daddy. Daddy? I don't know, Mr. Dillon. I don't think they'd have made out on this place anyway. Why not, Chester? Well, there just isn't enough water. That one little old spring is all I've got. Well, if they had a lake, it'd still be too much for Tara. What are we going to do with her, Mr. Dillon? I don't know, Chester. We'll have to think of something, though. My, I wish she'd come out of that house. I don't like it, her in there, breaking her heart. Give her a little time, Chester. She, she'll be all right. Don't you move her finger, either one of you. Well, you're mighty careless with that rifle, Ben. Don't get smart with me, Marshal. I know what I'm doing. And what would that be? I heard you in there. Heard you promise to take Tara away. I was right by the window. I heard it all. You got a curious way of courting the girl, Ben, trying to kill her father. Yeah, and I saw you yesterday looking at that saddle, but I didn't kill him, Marshal. You did. That's a lie, Ben Walling, and you you know it. I won't shut up. If we'd have just got here sooner, Mr. Dillon would have saved him, that's all. Yeah. It's too bad you got here at all. Because you're going to die for it. Both of you. Put the gun down, Ben. You're under arrest for attempted murder. You stay right where you are, Marshal. You know, I have an idea you've smelled powder before, Ben, and that you're afraid of it. Marshal? I have an idea that's why you tried to get Hantry like you did instead of facing it. And right now you wish you didn't have that rifle at all, don't you, Ben? Because I might have to shoot you. No. All right, huh? No, don't, Marshal. Give me that. You all right, Mr. Dillon? He didn't even try, Chester. Rifle went off when I knocked it aside. That's all he was scared to death. Well, I, I didn't feel exactly comfortable. Well, tie him up and keep an eye on him. I'll go see Tara. Yes, sir, Mr. Dillon. Late that evening, we buried Hantry out on the prairie, out in back of the little homestead. They would die now, too, and fall apart without him. The next morning, we loaded everything we could get into the wagon. With Tara beside me, we started out for Dodge. Ben Wallen never said a word. Chester led his horse, and they rode along ahead of us. I had plenty of time to tell Tara all about Dodge and how there were some good people there and how we'd find her a home and a family. She sat there, tight-lipped. She didn't say much, but she never once looked back. Smoke, transcribed under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. 
Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were John Daner, Sammy Hill, and Larry Dobkin. Parley Bear is Chester. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. In case you didn't know, Jack Benny and his gang begin their new season tomorrow night. Jack, Mary, Don, Dennis, and Rochester welcome a new member to the team, the head man of CBS Radio's Club 15 show, Bob Crosby. Roy Rowan speaking. Remember, the top dramatic show of them all, the Lux Radio Theater, is heard Monday nights on the CBS Radio Network. September 13th, 1952, that was Gunsmoke. The name of that episode was Home Surgery. I don't know if any of you get the Encore station on cable or through your dish network or direct TV or whatever it might be, but they have a Western channel, and that Western channel plays some of the original television episodes of Gunsmoke. And these were the half-an-hour black-and-white episodes, the earliest episodes. And what's unique about them is almost all of them were remakes of Gunsmoke radio scripts. And they were most of them were written by uh, uh, John Meston, some by Kathleen Height. And although the cast is different, the uh, script is almost the same. There's some minor variations. But we've been watching these lately, Carol and I, and really, really enjoying them. Just really enjoying them. I still prefer the radio, uh, the actors on the radio, but I, I have to admit, especially in the early days, Jim Arness was pretty good, and Dennis Weaver was excellent as Chester. Well, I don't know where the time's gone, but we have used it up. So it's time to take all of these great shows and carry them back and put them in the vault. That's going to kick things in the head for another week. You have been a very attentive class, and I know that you're eager to get outside and play, so I'm going to let you go now. 
But before I do, I would just like to let you know that we will be back in two weeks. We're going to do this all over again. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me.